Jonathan. And I'm David. And welcome to our podcast, Father to Son, building a Christian rock collection. Each episode, we'll discuss a classic Christian rock album and decide if it merits a place in our rock collection. We have a series of rigorous tests performed today, so let's get digging. Good afternoon and Merry Christmas. We are coming today with a very special edition of Father to Son. This is a Christmas album. It was released in 1988 by Sparrow with all Sparrow artists in it and it's simply titled Christmas. We have another special thing today and that is a special guest because Father to Son today is going to be Father to Son-in-Law. Please welcome my son-in-law, Corey Pollard. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I'm very happy to have you here as well. This should be fun. (laughs) Yeah. As David is still in college, doesn't have as much time, and exams are coming up for him this week. Uh I said, you know what? This will be fun. Welcome to the podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Corey. Uh, What do you do? How did you come into this thing called Christian music, etc.? I was probably born into classic rock. Like My family is very musical. My dad's a classic rock guy. Uh, but when it comes to Christian classic rock, definitely like where that comes into the fold for me is basically when I started dating Annabelle and like mm-hmm. started getting it from you yeah. and from David. And... Yeah, and your dad is quite the bass player. Mm-hmm. I've known 15 years probably. I've known your dad. Uh, yeah, probably. Something obviously, like that same time I've known you, but. Yeah. When you were a kid, we didn't have much to talk about. Yeah, not but, a whole uh, lot. But your dad and I would always yeah. find each other and talk bass gear. And, um, and of course, I, I've known your your mom. Mm. Uh, she taught for me when I was a school administrator. Yeah. They've uh, separated, gone their own ways, and mm-hmm. seem to be happy yeah. with their life yep. as it is. But anyway, so I've yep. known the Pollard family quite a while. Yeah, that's kind of how our families came together at all. It was like from, yes. from, yeah. them, from, from my that, mom getting that job. Yeah, I guess you really owe everything to me. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much everything. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about your background in music, because you are a very good musician as well. Thank you. Yeah. I uh, my background in music is I mostly as a kid I just sang like in choir, Um, and actually when I got to Grace was when I learned that you can do choir and band at the same time. So I started with like what I thought was going to be the easiest instrument, which was drums. Oh, I didn't know you didn't you didn't know about that. No, no, yeah. So that's so that's actually how I picked it was because I was afraid like oh I can do both now, but I feel like I'm probably going to be behind all the other kids in bands. Like they've all been learning since fifth grade, and I'm in eighth now, seventh. Um, So. I was like, what's the easiest thing I can just pick up quickly? I can just read rhythms. Okay, drums. And like within a year, the, you know, just being on the snare drum and the bass drum like turned into I want to learn how to do the whole kit. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I was like 13, I was like, I had a small kit of my own and like started learning from there. Got into like metal, classic rock, um, all kinds of stuff. I've been playing drums for like 14 years now. Uh, have kind of picked up like piano and bass along the way too. Just, I, I just love learning the basics of new instruments. Um, but yeah, mostly mostly a drummer. Yeah. yeah. I always thought your dad just uh, bred a drummer so he'd have somebody to play with. <laughs> that was kind of what I assumed. Whether, I don't know. The the level of excitement he met my ability to play drums with kind of seemed like that might have been intentional. <laughs> uh, but he definitely never pushed it. He just kind of like found out like, oh, you play drums? And like got super excited about all the other people like in my generation who are also coming up as young musicians yeah, and yeah. all like the friends of his bandmates basically. We've played together a little bit. I mm-hmm. certainly hope to play together a lot more. Mm-hmm. You, know, you guys just live 17 minutes away now. Yeah, we're and, nice and close. Uh, loving that. And um, you know, we like a lot of the same music. You know, yeah. I, I just think we would do yeah. some good collaboration coming up. For sure. All right. Well, what do you say? Should we get into this album? 
Oh yeah, let's do it. Okay. We're going to handle this episode a little bit different than our standard father to son. Uh, we're still going to do a archaeological dig and a brief geological study, but uh, we're going to do it before each song rather than uh, prolong before the whole album. And then we'll listen to the clip and we'll talk about it together and see how we like it and where we think it's fitting. Because you really don't have any history with any of these bands for the most part. Uh, you're going to do the archaeological dig for each one. And then I will kind of talk about my interaction with these. Since, you know, I, I bought this on cassette when it was mm. new in 1988. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was, there, there's, I was not around. Yeah. So I actually <laughs> found no... this at a sale for 50 cents on LP, I think a Whoa. year and a half ago. I was really, really excited to find it because I've enjoyed this uh, as mm. a Christmas album uh, for years. So let's begin. Go ahead and, and why don't you introduce our first artist? Yeah, so this first track is Silent Night by BB and CC Winans. Um, they are a sibling duo who started as singers on PTL in 1982. Uh, they received a recording contract with Sparrow in 1987. Their music is often categorized as R&B, gospel, and inspirational. They've had numerous top 10 songs on the R&B charts. Uh, they've won three Grammys and nine Dove Awards. They split as a singing duo in 1995 and have continued to record as solo artists since then. Uh, Cece won an additional Grammy as a solo artist, and they've come back to work together on special occasion. So Baby and Cece Winan, they have had quite the prolific career, mostly in the soul R&B category. Um, so for me, definitely somebody that I knew about. Um, I even think maybe they sang at a festival, but... Mm. You know, R&B is not something that I spent a lot of time listening to, sure. but I certainly knew who they were. You know, they, right, okay. they were well-known artists during this time period. It would make sense they would be one of the stars of Sparrow Records, as you can see from that resume. So should we go ahead and get to the track? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. is like the very reason why that R&B really is a, a big way that I think they're defined is it was just very smooth, very soulful, uh, like vocals. Um, they sound really good together, of course, probably because they're siblings. Mm -hmm. um, my first and foremost note that I remember writing about this was uh, that it's not your mother's elevator music. No, it's not. Uh, because, I would agree. Because when you, you listen closely, like uh, you hear like that bass line, like the bass player is 
eating it up on that. Yes, and you didn't have the album, so Mm-mm. you don't know who the bass player is. No. Although I, I teased it a little bit while we were listening. A little, yeah. It's David Hungate. Mm-hmm. Okay. David Hungate was in Toto. Oh. He was the original bass player for Toto. Okay. And yeah, that's, that's a, all coming together. <laughs> he is a serious session musician mm-hmm. and yeah. has played on a number of Christian albums. Uh-huh. So um, his crossover as a session musician into the Christian market is is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the bass playing is just fantastic. Yeah, incredible. I don't, I don't know if he's using a fretless bass, but that's what it sounds like to me. It's so oh. smooth. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be able to tell, but it, it is, yeah. It, it sounds very, very cleaned up. Uh, as serious of a studio musician as he is, at least that you described, like it kind of sounds like, yeah, he probably took that track, did one or two takes with it, cleaned it up, and then went home. Like yeah, he just, yeah. he sounds so experienced. The other interesting thing, and it's not complicated drumming, but the drumming is I really did. tight. It's very complimentary to how much the bass line moves around. Mm-hmm. One other note that I had about the song is that the drumming is very linear, which okay. I think is something that you hear a lot of, like that style in R&B. But linear drumming is this idea where like these hits that you have like in the beat, like on the hi-hat, the snare, and the kick, like those main three especially, you're never hitting two things at once. Right, okay. So it's sort of rolling, sort of walking along. That makes sense. And that really matches the way that the bass is rolling and walking along. And Mm -hmm. so everything just sort of, like, turns slowly and smoothly together in the rhythm section. And the only thing that is absolutely steady and constant through the whole song is the kick. Yeah. And whether he throws in a wood block or, Mm -hmm. you know, a rim shot or a snare... You never know where it's going to come in. I think it's really tasty. Yeah, so. it, yeah, it's excellent. And that drummer is Paul Leem. Now, I've okay. always said Paul Leem. It's L-E-I-M. I'm studying German on Duolingo right now, uh-huh. and the second vowel is always the sound. So, so I'm it like, could be Lime. Should it be Paul Lime after mm-hmm. all? I, I don't know. I yeah. have no clue. But um, Paul Leem is a, another great studio musician, played with lots and lots of artists. Mm-hmm. Um I have a feeling there's going to be a bit of that on an album like this, where sort of a lot of artists come together. Yeah, we're going to talk quite a bit about different... Uh, like session musicians. Different and, session musicians. Okay, cool. That's play. awesome. My thought on this is, um, you know, I'm not a big R&B fan. Yeah. Except for at Christmas. Yeah, that, right? that all of a sudden it just fits the it season. It just fits. Yeah. It fits so well. And this is mm-hmm. so well played and so well executed. Yeah. But generally, that style of singing would be get to be a bit too much for me and mm-hmm. what i mean is those kind of glissandos up and down and yeah um you know sliding into notes etc mm. but for a song and then to move on to something else that kind of works well for me and i yeah. just i really enjoy it i think it's a nice you know mm-hmm. laid back great opening for this album oh yeah i fully agree that sort of like ornamental style of vocals is a really nice like piece within a big picture of music but i th- i think i agree even i think i might enjoy r&b maybe a little bit more than you Probably. do not my biggest genre but like i really can get into it but even that said i don't think i would do a whole album of very like ornamental sort of uh vocals like that right but i think yeah it's a, it's a great piece to like start this off with well let's uh anything else we want to cover do we want to get into the next song no i think let's go ahead and jump into the next one okay so Go ahead and give us the archaeological dig. This one's not going to have as much because of the song, but go ahead. Right. Uh, So this next one is uh, Home for the Holidays. So six out of the ten artists on this album joined forces for this song. That's B.B. and CeCe Winans, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Whiteheart, Margaret Becker, and Steve Camp. Uh, If you're familiar enough with the artists, it's pretty easy to pick them out. All right. And um, not much for me to dig into, so let's just get right to the track. Seems like almost Oh, your face 
That's a nice song. Uh, I think it's an original to this album. It doesn't say who wrote it. I've tried to research it. Unfortunately, um, there's another much more popular Home for the Holidays mm-hmm. Christmas song. And so when you Google yeah. it, that one there's comes just out. There's just no place like it. There's no place you know, like home for, for the, the holidays, holidays, right? So, so I've not been able to it. be able to track this one down. It's interesting because this is kind of a soft rock, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think... Today, this is modern country. Right? Oh, okay. Right? Interesting you know, take, sure. Which sure. is one of those things where you say, like, modern country is really 80s rock. Oh, I have heard that. <laughs> you know? I've not heard enough of modern country really to know, but I can, if that's an example, that I can hear but it. But this has some some kind of country elements without the country singing, I think. Okay, yeah. You know? But, yeah. but it's, it, it almost has that sort of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, laid back, sounds nice. Yeah. Probably the thing that's the most interesting are the little one-off vocalizing parts by the different singers. Yeah, yep, for sure. I think it definitely is a really nice, like, collaborative piece. Like, it comes together beautifully. There are a lot of compliments in there. Like you said, those features of, like, you know, singers kind of popping out of the texture. It's nice. It's a good song. Yeah. And I think it's placed well in the second track. Yeah, for sure. This one is mostly studio musicians with some help from some of the guys from Whiteheart. Which, when we talk mm. about Whiteheart, we're going to get into that a little bit okay. more. Um, probably the big name on here, uh, well, two big names, Dan Huff, mm. who was originally with Whiteheart and would go on um, to be a huge session musician. Mm. Um, and then later would have a band right around this time called Giant, which was a arena okay. rock band. Okay. And, uh, had a couple big hits, but unfortunately they released their... First album, just as Arena Rock was dying. So, uh, um, they they did, missed the train. They missed slightly. Uh-huh. They they caught the caboose uh-huh. just before yeah. it went off the tracks. Let's go ahead and get right into Whiteheart. Whiteheart is uh, formed in 1982 uh, out of the backing band for Bill Gaither. Uh, they started out on Home Sweet Home Records but signed with Sparrow in 1985. By the time this album came out, uh, they were a well-established Christian rock act. Whiteheart had a somewhat revolving set of band members, other than the core of Rick Florian, Billy Smiley, and Mark Gershmel, uh, with many of them going on to uh, great success as session musicians. And Billy Smiley became a sought-after producer and was producer on eight of the 12 tracks on this album. Now, Whiteheart is a band that I definitely have some history with. I saw them for the first time. It was mm-hmm. on their Vital Signs tour in Petoskey, Michigan, just in their little Ooh. auditorium there. Maybe 500 people huh. was all that fit in there. And uh, they were just a great band. It sounds like a very small town thing to know about, like at that point. Yeah, yeah, like, they were def- like a very like little northern northern Michigan auditorium kind of a thing. They were definitely doing the smaller things yeah. then, and and they came back around the next year in support of Hotline, and then they kind of blew up, and, okay. and they okay. went from there. And then they weren't playing those small sorts of places like that anymore. Um, well, let's launch in. They do a, I think, pretty interesting rendition of Little Drummer. Be not in far up above 
this point, I think it's pretty clear that we have a very different Christmas album. Yeah, here's where it here's where it takes a turn. This takes a big turn yeah. and it kind of launches. Mm -hmm. And this is when I got this on cassette. You listen to the first two. And then you hear this song, and you're like, okay, yeah. I yeah. am liking this. Yeah, I, I won't lie. After I was a little jealous. After listening to the first two songs of this album, uh -huh. knowing that I was going to get to feature on this episode of the podcast, I was listening to like, those first couple songs, and I'm like, these are nice, but like they did Striper last time. Right, right. Like, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, it, it was, this is like, you know, rock has entered the building. This, this is definitely, definitely rock at this point. I talked a little bit about Whiteheart to begin with, but just to add a little bit more to that, they really had three members who were capable of doing lead vocals. Okay. Now, Rick Florian was the lead singer at this time, but Mark Gershmel would take lead on some songs as well. Mm -hmm. um, and Billy Smiley's an excellent singer. Wow, okay. And you really can hear yeah. the, the vocals in this. And this is not a matter of... You know, like sometimes with Striper, you have Michael Sweet, and you got Oz Fox, but you also have Michael Sweet singing a harmony with himself or something like that. Right. Same thing with um, the last one we did with uh, uh, Marty McCall, and Marty McCall singing his own. Mm -hmm. Here you have different voices, yeah. and they're blending incredible, and oh, it's yeah. fantastic. Who was leading on that one? Rick Florian's doing okay. the leading singer. Okay, got it. Yeah, he know he sounds incredible. But that th that uh, me and my drum where they really go yeah. up, and it's a chorus mm -hmm. singing that. That no, yeah, that's that really was fantastic. awesome. Yeah. Honestly, prior to this, I've been a little critical of some of the guitar sounds that Whiteheart would get on their albums. Oh, okay. Why is that? Um, I just was a little too compressed to me, oh. uh, thin at times. Mm. Um, they didn't scoop the mids as much as I would like. Okay. So but, yeah, this seems like it definitely resonates more. Oh, than, yeah, like, yeah, more yeah. than you described there. Definitely. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it's a really great guitar sound. Mm. So yeah. Now here's the question I have for you. Uh -huh. um, and I was as I was listening to this this week, I was thinking about having you on. Um, this is Little Drummer Boy. Yeah. The drums are good. Yeah. But there's nothing phenomenal about the drums. Yeah. The features that we get, I feel like, are you get these little fills here and there. The feature is less in how the drums are playing and more how the mix is done. Yeah, that's true. In my opinion, because yeah. I, I feel like that snare especially really pops out. Like the core parts of the drums, like that bass and the snare, are unique. I, and I can't really speak to how that sounds like compared to some of their other albums. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that mix usually is. But for me, like that was part of the feature was the way that the mix sort of put the drums a little forward. Mm -hmm. uh, there were still like small spaces, small fills where the drums could like kind of pop out a little bit, but no big glamorous like flashy solo, no big huge drum part like mm -hmm. that at all. And to be honest, I kind of liked that because the more I thought about it, and maybe I'm reading too much, but the more that's I thought a, about it, that's what we do. Is that we are yeah. we are paid. We analyze by um, no one oh, yes. <laughs> uh -huh. to make a big thing out right. of little things. We're, we're paid by no one to give opinions no one asked for. Right. So I'll give you mine. Go ahead, um, please do. If you really want to read into how and why the drums were featured, why like the way that they were, is that like this is a Christian rock album, mm -hmm. a Christian rock. Christmas album. Yeah, you expect it in a song titled Little Drummer Boy. It's an easy reason to like go in and have like this big piece of drums be like forward facing. Mm -hmm. But also, let's not forget what the song is about. The song is about somebody who doesn't have anything to give of themselves to the newborn king, but an expression of their abilities and of their passion. And so, like, that expression can look like anything. It can mm -hmm. look big, it can look small, but the focal piece is the newborn king. Okay. 
So I, I feel like that, you know, scaling back how the drums are featured and maybe doing it a little more creatively, like in the mix, like I mentioned, maybe that was more intentional than we think. Yeah. Getting a little theological. Getting a little deep. I was going into it like nobody asked, but here it is. This album sits squarely between two different White Heart albums. One was Emergency Broadcast, which had kind of that guitar sound I was talking about. And probably mm -hmm. the, the drums were not quite as deep sounding, if that's okay. the right word, yeah, you sure. know? And then they came out with this album called Freedom. Okay. And Freedom is not only White Heart's best album, but it may be a top 10 album made uh -huh. by any band, period. Wow. We'll have to get into that. I'll have to show you it sometime. Yeah. Freedom is absolutely magnificent wow. album. Just... All right. So next up is What Child Is This by Michael Card. Uh, Michael Card is a folk musician with a Celtic flair known for deep biblical lyrics. His career started in the early 80s when his pastor asked him to write some songs to go along with his sermon. His most famous song, El Shaddai, was recorded by Amy Grant. He signed with Sparrow in 1986. Michael Card, um, this would be somebody I knew about. Mm -hmm. I did not, still don't have any of his albums. This is the only thing I have by Michael Card. Okay. Primarily because when you saw his records in the record store, it was a balding guy with a, a classical guitar. It doesn't really reach and out and grab you. That wasn't the sort yeah. of thing I was buying sure. in the mid-80s. You yeah, know, right. a Baron Cross, Striper... <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, resurrection band. Oh, and a balding guy with acoustic music. Yeah, yep, exactly. Not, not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I do really enjoy this, but I don't want to get too ahead. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping Whom angels greet with anthems sweet While shepherds watch our keeping He lies in such a lowly place Where ox and ass are feeding The end of fear for all who hear the silent word is speaking. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him praise, the babe, the son of Classical guitar piece as smooth as his balding head on his album covers. <laughs> Incredible. Very good. So I was definitely listening more just now to, like, specifically the guitar in the song. Having that context, like, kind of makes you hone in on what he's doing, and it, it is a, a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. um, just, yeah, very mellow, especially after what we had just come from. Yeah, yeah, quite quite a change in pace, to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Interestingly, while he is a guitar player, they had a session musician play the guitar. Oh. And it, it may just be that, you know, he can play live, mm -hmm. and he can, you know, obviously he didn't write this song, you know, this right. predates him, but he can write songs on his guitar, but maybe... He wasn't quite up to the level that they needed clean okay. classical play. Yeah, right. So that could be the case. But I find mm -hmm. that interesting. Yeah. We just cut it at the end, but we go into some very lush orchestration there. Yeah. Right? It, yeah, that was a very, 
a well orchestrated piece that, that it goes into. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes quite beautiful. And I, mm-hmm. as I listened to it again this week, and I had picked these clips beforehand, but then listening again this week, I thought maybe I should have picked a little bit further in and caught uh-huh. more of that orchestration. Sure, yeah. Because it is just beautiful. So yeah. well done. Now, here's the interesting thing there is a cello player. Okay. There's the a piano player there, a keyboard player, mm-hmm. uh, the guitarist, and a bass player. Okay. But everything else is played on the Fairlight keyboard, oh. which was a early sampling synthesizer, digital oh, sampling synthesizer. Right. So it actually says that there who it lists who the Fairlight programmer was. So your flute part, um, yeah. kind of the choir in the background, that's all that's all Fairlight. done on that. Yeah, wow. Pretty impressive. I can't you know? believe that. Like that's yeah. actually kind of crazy. But, I need to go back and listen to that knowing what they did there and I, that's pretty impressive and then and then when you realize okay there's an actual cello player mm-hmm. right which right. beefs it up a little bit yeah but then all the other strings yeah the rest of know. it is, is like the it's all this auxiliary like i'm doing it from the keys like, right that's pretty yeah. cool yeah um i do think it's beautiful mm-hmm. It is an odd placement on this album because it really mm. stands out. Yeah, I was going to say, right before Little Drummer Boy, we listened to that track after and we were like, oh, Rock has entered the building. And now it sort of sounds like we hit this piece and it's like rerouting. It's yeah, like, this wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah, your Google Maps is going yeah. up. Wait a second. It's like, what are, what are, what you, guys, are you doing? Where are you guys going? Yeah, and this is in no shape, way, or form is this rock, soul, R&B, right. you know, anything. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully yeah. well done. He's a great singer. I'd probably put him in the baritone. Yeah, and it's really smooth. It. Sounds, yeah, sounds definitely. Nice, so. On to the next one. So next song is Do You Hear What I Hear by Denise Williams. Uh, Denise is an R&B soul singer and undoubtedly the biggest star on this album. She started out as a backup singer for Stevie Wonder in the early 70s and also sang for such luminaries as Roberta Flack. 1975, she went on to start a solo career with Columbia Records. She got her first number one hit on the soul charts for a duet with Johnny Mathis. She's probably best known for singing Let's Hear It For The Boy on the Footloose soundtrack, which was another number one hit for her. Her music also contained an inspirational gospel element. In 1986, she signed with Sparrow. She's been nominated for 13 Grammys and has won four times. In fact, she was also nominated for the song that we're about to hear. I do not know if Mariah Carey was influenced by Denise Williams, but almost <laughs> how can she not be? Honestly. That multi-octave range, you know, that almost the whistle tones and the highest notes. Mm-hmm. Am I an R&B fan? No. But do I love this track? Yes. You gotta. <laughs> you you gotta, gotta love it. this. Yeah. The singing is just phenomenal. Yeah. You it, know? It truly is. It, I, I mean, for me, because I didn't know who Denise Williams was before this. 
it is reminiscent of Mariah Carey. Sure. But you yeah. can't say it in that order, of sure. course. Right. I do like the circle back that we've done to R&B here. It seems like Sparrow has the great feature of R&B artists. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and one more yet to come. Yeah, there was another that I was listening for yeah. that we'll get to later. But um, I really like, especially as amazing as the vocals are, I'm always going to be a guy to hone in on the rhythm section. Well, you're going to be shocked here in a minute, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Right. I can't wait. The bass and the drums, I mean, they sound amazing together. They are in the same tiny little pocket, and it's always great to hear that. But I was also interested in like the mix on this because... The bass almost sounds, I would almost say it's like a bulgy quality. I don't know mm -hmm. if there's a slight distortion on it mm -hmm. or what. It's like fatter, mm -hmm. you know, the just whatever, at each strike of the bass resonates more in like just a, a distorted way, but there's still so much precision in it. And like in that pocket with the drummer, the mix is almost like it's supposed to sound wider and all over the place, but they're still so tight. It right. was a really cool right. like juxtaposition. So when I was listening to this, this is one where I said, okay, that is either a fretless bass or that's a keyboard. It's a keyboard. No way. Okay. Not only is the bass a keyboard, so are the drums. No way. It is all programmed. What? To me, that doesn't actually take away from it yeah. because it's so good. Yeah. This is some incredible It's so well written. When it comes to something like this, it becomes less about being impressed with the authenticity of those instruments and being more impressed with just like how well those two pieces were written to fit together. Uh, as a drummer, I'm always going to love hearing live drums, especially because drums are one of the easiest things to like try and replace like with a program, depending on who you ask. But I'm always going to be just as impressed with simply how well something is written and mixed. There's still something really special about this. Now, they do have Alex McDougall, who is uh, another well-known session musician, playing additional percussion. Okay. And... Um, I would guess, like, every once in a while, there's a tambourine hit. You know, there's some little mm -hmm. things like that. So he's probably doing that, giving it a little more depth. Yeah. And then I know that around this time, they were getting pretty good at making drum machines give you a good snare sound, you know, giving mm -hmm. you a good tom sound, etc. But cymbals still would sound a little bit like they're squelched. Yeah. So okay. I know on some albums, they would have somebody record the cymbals. Interesting. Because the hi-hat playing mm -hmm. on this is... It didn't sound so artificial. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's like he never does the same thing two bars in a row. Yeah. You know, and so again, either that's really good programming uh -huh. or Alex McDougall played the hi-hat yeah. part separately. I, I will say this, if the hi-hat is filled in by somebody playing a live cymbal, mm -hmm. I'd be really impressed with how that person made that fit into the Did mix. that work, yeah. How, yeah, how well they made it work. You have to be a good percussionist to listen for, like, okay, what pieces are here? What pieces can I add that it's going to actually add to the completeness of the piece and not mm -hmm. stand out? Right. And, like, that beat was well-constructed if it's from between, like, a program and an actual instrumentalist. Like, that's super impressive to me. Yeah, and this was produced by Brad Westering and Roby Duke. We'd have to ask them probably to find out exactly yeah. how it was done. But, so what does Steve Taylor have for us? So Steve Taylor is about to have us walking in a winter wonderland. Uh, he got his start as a youth pastor writing funny and satirical songs with biting commentary to help get across his lessons. Um, he was signed with Sparrow right out of the gate and released his seminal EP, I Want to Be a Clone, in 1982. In his songs, he would regularly lampoon aspects of Christian culture that he thought was incongruent with truly following Jesus. Uh, his full album with Sparrow was in 1985, although he did put out a best of in 1988 and recorded three new songs for Sparrow. Slaters wing, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in the 
to Steve Taylor to throw a curveball at the end of the side one. Uh-huh. Uh, Steve Taylor was somewhat known as the uh, court jester or the clown prince of Christian music. <laughs> um, as we mentioned, loved to do satirical songs, uh, funny songs, mm-hmm. not necessarily comedy songs. A comedic feel to it, yes. even though the song itself is not funny. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is very different. I don't know that um, he ever did anything like this before mm-hmm. or since then. Right. But <laughs> this would just, it's keeping with the kind of person he is. It's like, you want me to, you know what, you want me to do a Christmas song? Yeah, here I'll you go. give you a Christmas song. Yeah. I didn't mention beforehand, my experience with Steve Taylor goes back to his first album. He was kind of a new wave rock. Mm -hmm. Um, He tended to defy genres a bit, but definitely more keyboard driven with some nice guitar playing. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely a rock musician. And so this is is like like I said, nothing that he's done before. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts on Winter Wonderland? Um, I... I... I like the irony of like how you associate that type of music with probably like a, a warmer southern climate. Okay. Uh, yeah, and yeah. The, those people probably are not literally walking in a winter lund- I wonderland. I've never thought of that yeah. before. I yeah. wonder if, that, if I wonder if he was truly trying to be that on the nose with it, uh, with like how he's parodying the song. That would fit. That would fit a bit with him. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. You will be happy to know that this is a actual mariachi band. Okay. So no keyboards, no sleight I'm, of hand. I'm elated to know. Yeah, we didn't get to the part, but um, the I, second... I'm glad to know you haven't tricked me once again yes. by letting me talk about what I like about the music and then saying, by the way, it's this. Like, yeah, ah. Yeah. Um, we didn't get to it, but there is a verse sung uh, in Spanish, not yes. by Steve. While this is very different and it's fun, uh, mm-hmm. this always makes kind of my best of Christmas songs because yeah. it's one of my favorite versions of Winter Wonderland. Yeah, it's just goofy. I would say this is an album turner. I want to keep listening. Yeah. This is fun. Let's see right. what the other side is. Yeah. I will say, though, just before we get to the next clip, at this point in listening, I started to think less of like expecting a Christian rock Christmas album and more of like, okay, this is an assortment of different stylings and like strengths by like all ki- all kinds of various Sparrow artists, which was not my expectation going in, but that's definitely what's being set here is like, you're not going to necessarily get a method going through this. Sure. You're going to yeah. be listening yeah. piece by piece. Yeah. Next is O Come O Come Emmanuel by Margaret Becker, uh, who started her career playing in coffee houses while studying opera. She received a contract as a songwriter with Sparrow in 1985 and received a solo recording contract in 1986. Her first two albums on Sparrow, Never For Nothing and The Reckoning, are classic Christian rock albums, although most people consider her high point to be 1989's poppier Immigrant's Daughter, produced by Charlie Peacock. She stayed with Sparrow the longest out of anyone on this album, recording nine albums on Sparrow up through 1999. Margaret Becker, she was a a rocker, and not only that, she Mm -hmm. was a female rocker in a male-dominated world. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel sexist saying that, but at the time you were like, wow, this lady can rock, you know? Yeah. Um, 
so particularly in Christian music, we didn't have many female rockers. Sure. Had some female vocalists in mm-hmm. bands who rocked, but not necessarily like, because Margaret Becker was also a very good guitar player. Yeah. So it felt probably more like a novel concept back then. It did. Yeah. yeah. So my introduction to her is um, I was at a festival and Rick Kua was playing. And Rick mm-hmm. Kua is a bass player that I love. He's one of my top 10 bass mm-hmm. players. Used to be in the Outlaws. Okay. Um, is he a session musician somewhere now? <laughs> um, he has done some session okay. work, but um, he actually writes on the issue of, of worship now, and he is worship pastor at oh, his church. That's awesome. But um, so he's playing at a festival, mm-hmm. and he's got a band because he was a solo artist, but he put together these bands. Mm-hmm. And there's this female guitar player playing in his band. Mm hmm. And she's a good player. And then partway through his set, he yielded the stage to her. Oh. And she did three of her own songs, and then he was her bass player. That's right? cool. Yeah. And it's like, holy cow, not only can she play guitar, she can sing really, really well. When I was researching for this, and I guess we'll let the cat out of the bag, I was your research assistant. Yeah, no, I, was, I didn't think there was any disillusionment up until this point, but definitely that's what's going on. So <laughs> when I was reading it and I found out that she studied opera, I'm like, oh, that's where the pipes come from because <laughs> she is a phenomenal singer. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. All right. And we're going to hear that on this track. Becker tells you to rejoice, you rejoice. Like you, <laughs> you listen better. to what you see better. You better. You, you yeah. Better. That song, I remember listening through uh, that first time, just like hearing that electric guitar pop out, mm-hmm. and it was just such a cool, like, rock ballad mm-hmm. to a well known, like, him. Okay. Um, and I just, yeah, knowing, I mean, obviously, all, all of the time listening to it, I was like, yeah, those vocals are powerful. Yeah. I feel like. Like you said, knowing now that she studied opera, it's like, oh, that's like, you know, kind of like a lyric style, like, contralto. Right, right. Singing. Uh Um, And I'm using those terms tongue-in-cheek because my wife, your daughter, will hear this podcast and tell me that one or both of those terms is wrong. Probably. Um, But that was my impression, knowing that she studied (laughs) opera. It's like, oh, that comes, there's like a depth to that that comes from singing clear and healthy that opera singers know all about. And unlike me, I think you used that term correctly. Contra- oh, have you, have you used... I used it incorrectly talking about Michael Sweet. Uh-oh, and back. you got pinged? 
So okay. <laughs> yes, well, yeah. either I redeemed the podcast or that's two strikes. Uh-huh. We'll see. So when we talk about instrumentation, they have three guitars on this. Dan Huff, Tom Hemby, and Jerry McPherson. So they wanted to get a really big guitar sound. Mm-hmm. I do wish it was a little more out front. Yeah, I, I kind of want more of a chorus of electric. Yeah, it's one. there, mm-hmm. but yeah, I want it a little more in your face. Yeah. You know, so I was a little disappointed that it wasn't, not the vocals as big as it can be, uh-huh. but we didn't have more of that just, you know, yeah. huge rock sound, mm-hmm. uh, but it's there. Close listening is rewarded. And yeah. that's one of those that you really sit back. Particularly, this is a good headphone song. Yeah. Or really turned up in your car. Oh, yeah, definitely. then you hear, you es- know... Especially, like, after playing with, like, you know, if you're playing with the three-point EQ in your car, like, trying to get all the depth into it, and then sure. you're blasting that, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one for that. That's a good car jam. Anything else we want to cover on this one? No, I think that about does it. Yeah, it's a great song. A really great, yeah, yeah. A really great forward choral piece, like, big rock, but... Could be bigger electric for us, I think. Yeah, for us, yeah. All right, so what's up next for us? Uh, up next, we have Steve Camp with Oh Holy Night. Uh, Steve Camp is the only artist on this album with deep roots in contemporary Christian music. Um, signing with Murr Records in 1977. In 1983, he signed with Sparrow Records and released Fire and Ice, which was a songwriting collaboration with longtime friend and former member of Petra, Rob Frazier. And Steve was always a passionate voice, but uh, became very critical of the Christian music industry and how it had come to put money before ministry. Steve Camp was not someone that I listened to a whole lot. He was a little on the soft side for me. Okay. To me, he was kind of like the male version of Amy Grant. You know, oh. some rockier songs, but not an overly right. rock musician. But I loved him, and particularly for his passion, which you mentioned there. Yeah. Uh, however, that one album that was mentioned, his first one on Sparrow, Fire and Ice, I recently got that from my cousin, Bill Kennedy. And basically, Bill was getting rid of his records, and he you know, gave them, and, and mm. David and I did a schoolyard pick through the albums, oh, back yeah. and forth, back and forth. Nice. And, and I picked that up, and it's a really, really good album. I really mm. enjoy it a lot. It's definitely more of a rock album. Okay. I can hear Rob Fraser's influence on it. Nice. Saw Steve Camp at... at um, Music festivals and stuff, you know, so somebody I was definitely aware of and uh, had some good albums out there. I think his Sparrow albums rock more than his Murr albums did. Let's get on and let's let's hear what he's doing for this one.
So Steve Camp here is bringing us what I would call kind of rural rock, mm, okay. right? A little bit in that same vein. You might find John Mellencamp, you know, with that, yeah. that acoustic guitar, yeah. you know. I do like the little bits that the electric is adding. I think mm-hmm. adds to the song a lot. They're really nice. That's Jerry McPherson again. Okay. So yeah. uh, a, a really good Nashville guitar player, mm-hmm. and it just it fits. You know, kind of sounds like he's either playing a Strat or a Telecaster or something like that, but where you can get sure. that really that sound that just can pierce right through the mix. Yeah, it's sort of I don't I almost don't want to call it necessarily a clean. Like it's more clean than maybe some of the other guitar features we've definitely heard so far. I think it's really just an intentional like way to mix in the guitar to have it stand out but not be super flashy. But for a number of years, I would, uh, with some students from school, uh, this is actually before Grace, uh, would get some of them together and we would do background music before oh. the Christmas program. And that was oh. kind of the high school's involvement. Yeah. And we would do this song, and this is the arrangement that I would use. That's cool. Because it is a really great acoustic rock arrangement. Uh, sometimes people do Oh Holy Night, and it becomes so slow. You're like, oh yeah. my lord, this song is never going to end. Yeah. Because there are a lot of verses to Oh Holy there Night. There are. So with this I recently one, learned there's more than we think. <laughs> yes. You know, this it, it, it cooks. It moves along. It does. You know? Yeah, and that so, is nice. And I would call this, like I said, acoustic rock. Yeah. You know? Um, 88, we're just on the, the cusp of what would become alternative rock. Mm-hmm. And this would become very popular. This kind of more, not quite jangly, but uh-huh. you know, uh, more stripped down, yeah. less it, of the polish. Something about that sound made it like that acoustic rock type of sound. It almost had slight R&B elements in it. And it wasn't overt. It wasn't like a huge like rhythmic thing. It just, I think the smoothness of it, and maybe for me, it's just like I'm not as used to the 80s sound. Um, but I think something about that, like softer rock 80s sound, it wasn't very rock forward. So like it put the mellowness of R&B in my head, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know how much of that is because we're back with uh, Hungate on the bass. Could be. Is primarily more of a jazz style, mm-hmm. R&B style bass player. It could be, yeah. Um, and obviously he knows how to play rock because he played with Toto. But when you mm-hmm. look at what he, where he likes to sit. Yeah. Even yeah. some of his like elements with Toto, it's like, yeah. you know, you, you get a little bit of that feel. Yes. Because you have these at the end of the, each line, maybe a little bass flourish mm-hmm. or something, you know, yeah. and kind of moving that pushing it forward more in the way that you would expect jazz slash R and B, you know, something like that. So that could be why. Mm -hmm. Um, But speaking of R and B, we are back with a R and B track. We are. We're sort of rolling next into a more overtly R and B singer, Tim Miner with uh, the first Noel. So Miner started his career with a small Christian label, Nisi in 1984 Sparrow had just signed him to a recording contract in 1988, and he was seen as an up-and-coming singer. Unfortunately, he would be dropped after that one album. He would go on to record a handful of other records over the next 15 years, but would make more of a mark as a songwriter and producer, working with people so diverse such as uh, Paula Abdul, we got Justin Bieber, Al Green, Steve Perry, and Dionne Warwick.
is the king of Israel, but the king of slap bass on this one is Tommy Sims. <laughs> like, that's the king of this track for me. Yeah. I know the vocals yeah. are incredible. Tim Miner does a fantastic job, but I'm so drawn to just the way that those that, that bass like walks and on the ends of some of those lines flourishes so nicely. It's it's outstanding bass playing. It's so good. Yeah. Tommy Sims was with Whiteheart at that time. He did a couple albums with them until he, surprise, surprise, became a session musician. Of course. <laughs> um, and you can tell why. Yeah. Holy cow. I would love to play this. that bass part. Yeah. Would that be fun? Seriously. I, oh, yeah. I would like to hear a real drummer because it's, it's clearly mm. programmed drums. I would love to hear how a real drummer clicks into that pocket mm -hmm. with him on that because that yeah just incredible rhythm going on there and and they programmed it well enough that it's passing yeah yeah it, it's, it works it's, it's good it works. it works but yeah i would have loved to hear just like a certain touch on like earlier i mentioned you know sometimes with drums that are programmed like it doesn't bother me too much mm -hmm. but there are times like this mm -hmm. where i'm like you know the touch of a really good drummer with that bass player could have really been magic it really could have been amazing yeah. yeah whereas on the denise williams song where you really couldn't tell that that wasn't a live drummer uh -huh. this time it has the it's, hallmarks yeah. of a drum machine mm -hmm. yeah you know? and i i almost want to say that it's not so much that the like the programming stands out like on its own like oh it's so campy drum sound mm -hmm. it's just the fact that the bass player is making you realize yeah like yeah. me and the drums going on right now are unevenly yoked yes you know? yeah well the drum is is definitely been quantized so yeah. it's very on the beat yep um and i think a drummer in this would probably play you know at the front of the of the beat would push say. it a little bit more mm -hmm. um and then it's very um sequenced so mm -hmm. the, certain it, things it loops come around come around come around yep. and so th those are the things that i say are the the hallmarks of a drum machine yeah you know yeah definitely. um if you're boys and girls if you're going to program drums out there don't over rely on loops right or right? get a worse or, bass player get a worse bass player <laughs> then it'll match <laughs> oh goodness but yeah tommy sims great bass player yeah you know. incredible the other thing and I, I even though we get a long section where he's not singing i i really poke pick this section in particular and i try to pick about one minute clips mm -hmm. okay because i wanted to get that section where the arrangement really uh, is highlighted here and tim minor as we know was a mm -hmm. producer arranger songwriter so he arrange this song and all of a sudden we we go into oh holy night for a little bit and that whole it was the night before christmas and mm -hmm. all the world was listening you know yep. and i just think that's just brilliant uh -huh. that he's really taken a well well known christmas song and done something new with it mm -hmm. done something very different with yeah it, so. which can be hit or miss sometimes mm -hmm. people do things with christmas songs that you know and love that like just kind of yeah. miss yeah don't, like, don't touch don't, that don't touch that or yeah. don't like if you're gonna do that it should be good mm -hmm. and in this case yeah no it was just i think a really good quality spin on a very popular well-beloved christmas piece but at this point i think i'm ready for some rock again are you ready for some rock oh i'm i am craving some rock okay let's see what we got all right we have jingle bell rock with jeff moore in the distance uh, Jeff Moore is a local boy from Flint, Michigan. He attended Taylor University, where he was a classmate with future Whiteheart singer Rick Florian. In 1983, uh, he moved to Nashville and became a songwriter. In the mid-80s, he recorded three solo albums for the label Power Discs. 
Um, in those early albums, he received a lot of help and support from Whiteheart. In 1987, he signed with Sparrow Records and uh, put together his touring band, The Distance, named after his third album. So Jeff Moore's another one that I've, I've got a, a decent history with, not personally, but listening to. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> um, interesting. We talked about seeing Whiteheart, right? And I mm-hmm. said they came back around to Petoskey right. for that second time, and um, they were supporting their hotline tour. Okay. And they did, which to me, this is a great way. I've had a number of musicians do this, that the way they do a supporting musician is rather than have them be the warm-up band, mm-hmm. they have them come out and sing kind of in the intermission, if yeah. you will. And so More Jeff, like a feature. Right. And so Jeff Moore came out and sang um, a couple songs cool. his, off his first album, uh, Where Are the Other Nine. Mm. It was kind of soft rock fair okay. a little bit. Uh, but he launched into his rendition of Larry Norman's Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music. Ooh. And it rocks. Wow. It absolutely rocks. Yeah. Now, his next two albums were rockers. Okay. Like arena rock type thing. You know? Yeah. A little garagey at times. Okay. Which you definitely get that feel on this, on this track here. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. So the other thing is because he was from Flint, I saw him quite often, maybe once a year for, for several years, mm-hmm. five, six years, whether at a festival or something else, right. because he could play Michigan gigs and sleep at home. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, what's go better back, than that? Go back and see his folks, yeah. you know, et cetera. You know, so he would come and do, uh, you know, concerts at, at Spring Arbor. Oh, E.P. No Hart Auditorium, which is now White Auditorium. Yeah, that know. is cool. Great concert, great show, great singer. Mm-hmm. Seems to be an incredible guy, you know. I've met him a little bit fanboy at that time. Sure. But I, but I met him. <laughs> little starstruck. He seemed to be really down to earth. That's so, so cool. So this is his very high octane Jingle Bell Rock. just rocks i don't know if that's too cliche but it does exactly what it says it's gonna do exactly what it says the original jingle bell rock was more of a rockabilly right yeah and that's why brian setzer does it so well Mm. but if you hear the original it's like it's a rockabilly song Mm -hmm. and jeff moore just said we're gonna sorry we're gonna turn this up to 11 we're gonna (laughs) sorry billy but we're gonna take you out of the rockabilly in this taking the billy out fully rock it's just fully rock yeah and this is primarily Whiteheart mm-hmm. with his guitar player, Jeff Moore's guitar player, okay. uh, Dale Oliver. So while this is credited as Jeff Moore in the distance, it's really Jeff Moore 
the Distances guitar player, uh-huh. and the rhythm section from Whiteheart. Yeah, so. it's 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 like it's more like, you know, maybe Jeff Jeff Moore and White Distance. I don't know. White Distance. I don't know if you can say that. <laughs> I don't know if you can call it that. I like it. It's Jeff Moore and White Distance. Jeff Moore and White Distance. Um, Jeff Moore's got a great rock voice as well. Oh yeah. You know that yeah. and. Um, Love his voice on this. He had been a real rocker up till this point, and his mm-hmm. next album was called Foundations, and it was more of a stripped down kind of that rural rock, you oh. know, almost like a John Mellencamp sound, like we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. Yeah. So he really kind of altered where he went, and then they did a kind of a poppy album, mm-hmm. which I wasn't overly fond of. So up until this point was the time that, although the Foundation is a great, great, great album, there's no doubt about it. Uh-huh. But it's it's different. But uh, you know, I, I do love the sound. I love that he's getting here, and it's you know, mm-hmm. it's it's fun without a doubt. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this? Uh, no, just just a a nice oasis of rock in what was what had maybe the few tracks before sort of felt a little slower. Like mm-hmm. it, it was definitely a great spot, I think, in the album for it. It, it was. It, it definitely kind of takes us sets us up for I think the last two tracks. Yeah. So let's see what Stephen Curtis Chapman has for us. Uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman has uh, Away in a Manger up for us next. Um, hard to imagine that Stephen Curtis Chapman was just getting going when this came out. Um, his debut album was released in 1987, and it would only be four more years before he exploded with the album The Great Adventure. Um, since then, he has become one of the most successful singer-songwriters in Christian music history, and most and the most decorated with uh, five Grammys and 59 Dove Awards. Uh, his blend of acoustic folk guitar with upbeat rock has created a sound that appeals to all ages. As you mentioned in your background, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman was kind of just getting started. So he really wasn't part of my teenage listening. Mm-hmm. And he probably would have been too soft for what I really liked and would yeah. have listened to. So I first became uh, aware of him or familiar with this music as, as a youth leader and all the kids were listening to him, and they just loved him. Uh-huh. And it, it seemed a little odd to me, because I thought teens were supposed to, like, rock your music than their parents. Right. And I'm sitting here going, gosh, you know, I, I like rockier stuff than this, yeah. you know. But music styles had changed. Yeah. 90s, the acoustic rock was in more. Here we have a track by him early on in his career. have some more acoustic rock mm-hmm. right um upbeat up tempo uh good scene you know yep. one of those things i think as as david would say i have no complaints with this album <laughs> or i have no complaints with this song right you know 
Um, it's nice. It's it's a good arrangement of Away in the Manger, which yeah. otherwise is kind of a slightly boring musical song, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, but here it definitely has some interesting stuff going on. Yeah, there's... I, it's, it's, I feel like it's some... Definitely a musician's, like, or a music lover's Away in the Manger. Okay, sure. Like, there's sure. more... There's nothing, again, nothing overly flashy or forward featuring in this, but just the the pieces of the arrangement are just sort of better written. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you really like, you know, me as a member of a rhythm section, like, I like what's happening rhythmically. Um, I guess I would resonate with David's I Have No Complaints. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still more interesting, like you said, than, yeah. than any other rendition you'd hear. Now, Stephen Curtis Chapman did the uh, acoustic guitar solo. So I wanted to get that in. So yeah. I thought that was interesting because yeah. you don't, I don't think of him as a solo player. Mm-hmm. Think of him as a singer songwriter. So right. he's strumming his guitar and he's singing his songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as I, as we said, you know, one of the most successful, certainly of the last, you know, 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, 58 doves is a record. It's the most yeah. doves ever. Right. Yeah, so, wow. you know, interesting, a little uh, a side note here. A couple of years ago, my father-in-law gave me devotional book okay. called uh, Devotions from the Deer Stand okay. by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Nice. And he went out of his way to, you know, make sure that I knew that this guy was a hunter, was an actual hunter. Okay. And I'm like, he's a extremely successful Christian musician. <laughs> and he says, yeah, and he's a hunter. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, it, Interesting that that the part that that really resonated was you know this is a deer hunter writing right. about you know and, and I was more interested in the fact that you know this is a really good songwriter you know yeah. the bass player on this is Mike Brignardello so a little bit different than what we get from mm-hmm. Hungate or Sims yeah but still really 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 good yeah no still incredibly tight you know and so if you want to listen to this album you've got three outstanding session bass players. Yeah, just, so the best just playing insane. is just great throughout this album. Yeah. On the one hand, because David likes rockers, he might be like, I'm glad I, you know, I, I skipped this one. On the mm-hmm. other hand, he's a bass player. Yeah, that's 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 the thing is like there's something to and that's kind of going back to what I said, like this is the musicians away in a major. There's yeah. something to appreciate yeah, about yeah, it. Definitely. You know, that outstanding bass and and just just like you said, I guess the bass player features in this album off the charts. Off the, yeah, like yeah. I feel like every piece that I, you know, in my in my young and unappreciative for 80s music brain, where any song that I might have like turned off or not flipped over to the other side for has been saved for me by like incredible rhythm that's sure, going on throughout sure, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Um and I think the thing for me if this had not been a Christmas album, mm-hmm. when I bought this tape in 88, I probably would have said Okay, I like uh, White Hearts, Little Drummer Boy. I like Margaret Becker. Mm-hmm. I like um, Jeff Moore, Jingle Bell Rock, and yeah. that'd have been about it. Yeah, right. Sure. But because it's a Christmas album, you mm-hmm. kind of—I don't want to say put up with, but you kind of go along with yeah. the styles that you're maybe not as fond of, mm-hmm. and you end up going really fine are the things that you appreciate definitely yeah. so yeah i would agree because i'd add those same tracks that you mentioned but also the one i think the really nice r&b piece was uh noel mm-hmm. also sure. is is sure. high on the list for me okay yeah all right so we have one more track to go we sure do uh finally 
um, it looks like Steve Camp is still home for the holidays, but uh, the rest of that ensemble cast is here to give us uh, a rendition of Angels We Have Heard on High for the final piece in this album. Yeah, and, and I'm going to spoil it right now and say I love this rendition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. sing this hymn in church it's angels we have heard on high but that just now was angels we have heard on high on low from side to side from every other angle that was it was a brilliant just like the intro grabs everything like we talked earlier about like the arena rock feel and i feel like that is it right there is that intro just kind of like those syncopated hits and like bringing everything in together. Like it's just a, a brilliant version of that song. I'm going to break the fourth wall here for a second. Right. We had a technical snafu. Yeah. And we are re-recording this section mm-hmm. a couple days later. Yes, we are. Right. You come came up after work and I've been editing and you always have a snappy little fun things <laughs> when you are the one to come back after the song. And I, I never do that. And I love you for it. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so I was chuckling as you. <laughs> yeah, as I as I did the second take of, of like the same thing that I said last time yeah, when we yeah, lost the recording. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've already said that I love this, and it's still true. Uh, I love the syncopated hits to begin, and it's kind mm-hmm. of the interlude in between the verses. Yeah. Um, the voices blend fantastic. I guess that's, oh, yeah. that's what you get when you have a choir of... Mm-hmm. Um, professional musicians, you're going to yeah. get really good singing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I don't remember how much we talked about this exact thing last time we talked about this, uh-huh. but but like that that winning formula isn't always like a winning formula. But sure. The, but the production has a lot to do with like how well all of those fantastic award-winning voices actually come together. And like that, that's a prime example of it being done so well. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, I think sometimes it would sound like 10 individual people singing. Right. Yeah. And this sounds like a, a choir. This was choral. Yes. Yeah, yeah, very, definitely. very good. Blended. And again, Billy Smiley uh, arranged this mm-hmm. is he probably wrote out parts. Probably. And, and, okay. and said, here's, you know, here's your soprano part. Here's your uh-huh. alto part, etc." Right. to get that, that wonderfully blended sound. Uh-huh. So a good choral part, I mean, unless you're doing something that's with a lot of counterpoint to it, um, you know, a good choral part kind of sounds like a single voice, if you will. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There are places where one person or another will sing uh, not a whole verse like we had in Home mm-hmm. for the Holidays, but maybe a little line that pops out. Yeah. You know? Sort of hits like that, like a almost a musical climax at the end where like everything's just sort of like, you know, there's little feature after little feature. Yes. And yeah, did. Yeah. yeah, more of that. I chose this section because I wanted to get in the energy that they have during yeah. the verse and choruses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really moving. Instrumentation's fantastic. Oh, you know, yeah. it's it just it's a band. 
Yeah, mm. probably even more so than the other ones. Nothing really stands out because everything's played really well. Yeah, definitely. You know? I think we could go on and on, but I think we've really kind of already stated what we really like about this. Anything else we yeah, should add? I agree. No, no, I think we, I think we kind of summed it up. It's just okay. a, an amazing piece of the album for sure. So, you know, what would be our display case selection? And I'll go first since, okay. you know, you're the guest and still getting your your sea legs under you. Yeah, you know, yeah. getting or my your, bearings. Your rock legs, yeah. if you might, right. you might say. <laughs> um, and so for me, my top shelf songs uh-huh. would be Little Drummer Boy and Angels We Have Heard in High. Those are my, yeah. my two favorite. I've tried to get several worship leaders that I've played with to to take this arrangement and turn it into a Sunday morning chorus. Yeah, that would be amazing. With with a good worship band would be so good. And then for a second shelf, uh, Can You Hear What I Hear? I Mm -hmm. think it's just a standout track. The singing is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The um, instrumentation, even though it's it's sequence stuff, it's just spot on. Yeah. So well done. Um, And then if I was going to do a fourth one, uh, it would be uh, Jingle Bell Rock. You know, honorable mentions would probably be Walking in Winter Wonderland and yeah. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But I'm going to keep myself yeah. to four. So what about you? What are your display case I would selections? I would say, like, if I want to go with the two-shelf formula, I almost want to go, like, you know, on, on my top shelf, songs that rock, and on my bottom shelf, songs that groove. Okay. You know? So for me, my two, like, songs on this album that I think rocked the most were definitely Angels We Have Heard on High goes gets top slot, for sure. Um, and then beyond that, I would actually give my next slot to Jingle Bell Rock. Okay. Yeah. Um... And then moving down, I would focus, yeah, if, we, if we're going to focus more on songs that groove, because like an honorable, honorable mention song for rock for me would be Little Drummer Boy, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I don't think it quite matched the intensity of those other two. Okay, that's fine. For yeah. me. I think going down to like songs that groove, I would definitely agree with you on uh, Do You Hear What I Hear. Mm-hmm. That song really does groove. Um, and then I would I would throw in The First Noel. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely like, I feel like that... Listening back on that, I don't remember if that was one that had like drum track, like pr- like that, drum production in it, or if it was true instrumentation. That was a uh, sequence drum, yeah, but it but had the, Tommy Sims on bass. The groove of that song really did flow with me. And arrangement-wise, it's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, the arrangement so is so good on that. And really, the three R&B songs all really groove well. Yeah, no, yeah. all of them do, so, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I liked that a lot about this album, was that it was... They it did have a lot of points that it had a lot of high points rock wise and it had a lot of really nice like the in between songs that maybe didn't rock as hard still had quite a bit of like grooving and like just brilliant session musicians I feel like we got to talk about that again for sure sure yeah um, yep. but yeah overall fantastic we're gonna skip the rock scale because an album like this almost by definition is gonna be conglomerate absolutely right? so is this a classic uh huh is this a classic I could hem and haw about it a lot. But I think what it comes down to for me, whether or not this is a classic in your Christian rock collection, is if you consider yourself more of a rocker than like a general music lover, like rock specifically, like you're looking for that on your shelf, mm-hmm. I would say no. Right. Probably right. not. I really feel like uh, I can appreciate like a lot of different types of music. And for people who agree with that, um, I would say that this probably... I feel like it's a classic just for, like, the sheer amount of effort that went into the project, how well everything came together, how well it was produced. 
if you're looking for like a hard rock Christian Christmas album, this might not be it for you. Sure. I'm going to qualify my answer a bit. Okay. Because there's a couple different reasons why it might be a collection for you. Mm -hmm. One, it captures contemporary Christian music from mm -hmm. the late 80s. So where this is not necessarily Christian rock from beginning to end, it's mm -hmm. CCM. Yeah. So if you collect CCM, then I would say you want to have this. Definitely. Because it has the contemporary Christian musicians, mm -hmm. at least that were on Sparrow from that time. Right. Um, and a good, uh, a good selection of different mm -hmm. types of artists. If you collect Christmas music, then, then, then this yeah. is a good then one to have. This is a good one for you. you. This is one that if you can find it on vinyl, it's a find. Because, uh -huh. you know, it came out in 88. I don't know how many it sold. Probably not a tremendous amount, you know, tens of thousands, not the hundreds of thousands, I would guess. But probably it sold more cassettes and CDs yeah, than right. it did vinyl. And then the last reason is if you collect a certain band... Mm -hmm. And this is the only place you can find that song. Right. Steve Taylor ended up putting out Walking in a Winter Wonderland on his collection, uh, Now the Truth Can Be Told. Okay. So you can find it there. Yeah. Right? I don't know with the rest of these. Right. Um, if it was released somewhere else or not. Right. I don't know that Whiteheart ever put this out anywhere mm -hmm. else. <clears throat> so if you collect Whiteheart and yeah. you want to have everything Whiteheart, you know, then you have to have get this to have album. This, right? You have to, yeah. It's uh, a piece of the puzzle for a lot of different of the artists yeah. that are featured. That makes sense. One of the record stores, well, the record store I go to the most, uh, Chris there is a friend of mine. And I don't believe, if Chris is a Christian, I don't I don't know. We, uh -huh. you know. we talk about other things. But he is a huge Ronnie James Dio fan. Okay. Well, Ronnie James Dio sang two songs on Carrie Livgren's <laughs> post-conversion album. Oh, man. Okay. So he has that album, not because he's a Christian, not because he's a Carrie Livgren fan, but, but Dio sang Dio. on it. Yep, and exactly. he has everything Dio ever sang on. Yeah, that makes yeah. perfect sense. So. Yeah, if you're a diehard like yeah, any of the various of artists on here, it, yeah. then yeah, you'd want to have it just for that. All right, well, that wraps it up for this special edition. I know you'll be back for some other things. For now, we'll keep you to, as our special guest. I'm looking forward to being back someday, hopefully sooner than later, but yes. we'll see. Well, you know, because of the snafu, you're back uh, three days later. Uh, yeah, so already. How I didn't, about that? I didn't expect such an early callback, <laughs> but, you know, I'll take it. I'm oh, honored. and I'm, I'm glad you only live 17 minutes away. It is a great convenience, yes. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We're going to get this out to you as soon as we can, so... Merry Christmas, and we are going to say goodbye with some more of that awesome rendition of Angels We Have Put Up. Merry Christmas. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this Christmas edition of Father to Son. Father to Son is the sole work of David and Jonathan Combs own the copyright to the clips that are used, and they are used for demonstration and educational purposes only. Thanks for listening, and have a Merry Christmas.